Amen. Give somebody next to you a high five. Tell them that you're happy to see them here in the house of the Lord. Man, I am sure glad that you're here hanging out with us the day after Christmas. I hope that you had a blessed holiday, got to open some good presents, spend some quality time with your family. Uh, but if you don't know me, my name is Cole. I'm the youth pastor here at Powerhouse Youth. And uh, I just want to say, you know, I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to open the Word of God with you this morning. It's definitely not something that I take lightly. And before we jump in and talk about everything we're are to unpack this morning, I want to say a big thank you to Pastor John for allowing me to have this opportunity and to share his pulpit, and I'm so honored to, to be able to work alongside him and Miss Linnell and all of our other amazing pastors and staff, and if you would join me for a second, can we just make some noise and honor them this morning, amen, and we have some great leaders in this house, people that desire to build God's kingdom and not their own. Amen. That's what it's all about. And so this morning, I want to come to you and I'll just kind of preface this. I'm going to give you a, maybe a, a hint of a, a warning here. Um, normally I come with probably a lot of jokes and silliness and I'm just going to be honest. The last week or two as I've prepared to speak, I felt that, that God was laying some, some kind of more difficult topics to address on my heart. And, and so this morning I want to unpack these things and if I were to bring this message in our youth ministry, I would say, uh, get ready for me to step on your tootsies, okay? I don't know how that became a thing, but it is. So look at your neighbor and say, watch your tootsies. And all the men refuse to say it. They're like, I'm not saying tootsies. <laughs> but you know, one thing um, is very special. Uh, coming up in January, uh, Brittany and I, we have now been able to, to oversee and lead our youth ministry for close to six years. And it's just been fantastic to, to uh, be able to see God move in the lives of teenagers here in our city. And, um, you know, uh, there is just... There's a lot that I could say, but I do want to thank you. One, um, if, if you are a parent here and you have teenagers that come to our youth ministry and they're involved, I want to say thank you for entrusting your teenager to us. It's something that we don't take lightly, and we also believe that God wants to transform the lives of teenagers, that it's not just a hangout. We don't just eat pizza, but we are coming to pursue the Lord and see God move in their life. Amen. And so I want to also encourage you, if you're here and you have teenagers, you have students, you have children, get them involved in the church, because I'm not sure that uh, there has ever been a, a more important time in, in American history than right now to have your kids plugged into the church and, and combat the lies and things of the enemy. Amen. And so get, uh, get your children, get your students involved. And, and so I do uh, want to kind of share a little, I guess, a uh, funny uh, memories here at the beginning. But, you know, one thing that is uh, chaotic about youth ministry is you always wind up in very uncomfortable situations. Anybody who has a teenager can say an amen to that because you know your teen always gets in trouble. They're doing crazy stuff that you never really expected. I'm telling you, over the years, we have some crazy stories. I'm talking about, uh, man, I think one time I was dropping students off at their home after looking at some Christmas lights late at night out in Redwater. I was in one of the church vans and somehow I accidentally backed off the driveway and I get the church van stuck in someone's front yard and I've just covered it in mud and I have to do the shame, the walk of shame 
to the front door and knock on the door and ask this student's mom to come pull me out with her truck. And I was so embarrassed and humiliated. And Pastor Mike is just now hearing about that. So I probably won't be allowed to drive the church vans anymore. Um, Sorry about that. I kept that under wraps for a little while. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, we've also, we've been in restaurants and this is a little gross. Students have thrown up up front in the entryway. And as if that's not enough, like I'm already kind of queasy thinking about that. But another student wasn't paying attention and came along and stepped in it. And not only stepped in it, but I'm talking about slipped back, planted in this large pile of puke. And I'm up front like trying to help. And I'm like, and I just have to like walk out. And there there are some crazy, crazy, uncomfortable situations. And, and, you know, all of those things are goofy. We could probably all think of crazy, uncomfortable uh, situations that we have been in in our lives. But uh, one thing that I do believe stands true is that we tend to migrate towards what is easy and comfortable. When you are in an uncomfortable situation, what's the first thing on your mind? I am ready to get out of this, right? Uh, and, and so we, we tend to do that. We migrate towards what is easy and comfortable. We, we like to uh, sometimes maybe you act like you're burning up at home and you go and you click the thermostat down like one degree and then it's all better. And it's like, okay, that's, that's a little much sometimes. Or we like to, to lay back on, on the, the lazy boy or the couch and, and relax. And, and maybe when we get a little older, y'all, I'm getting guilty of this, but all of a sudden we don't really have a passion or drive to stay in shape as much. And we would rather sit on the couch and watch TV than go to the gym. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't nudge your spouse if, if that is them, okay? Um, but we tend to always migrate towards what is easy and what is comfortable. And, and one thing that I want to talk about today, I want to bring to you this message that is entitled Uncomfortable uh, because I believe that uh, God is calling us out of the comfortable place to the uncomfortable. And what is dangerous about this idea of comfort is that uh, when it begins to infiltrate our spiritual lives. And one thing that I've noticed as I've been studying these things, and a lot of this is these are things that God has been personally dealing with me over the last year. And so I'm not in any way going to be preaching down or talking down to you today. I'm talking to myself, okay? I'm stepping on my own toes. Um, But we tend to migrate towards what is easy and what is comfortable also in our spiritual lives. And there are a lot of aspects that we can uh, see that uh, this is true. There are a couple that I want to highlight today, but, but one area too that, that is becoming increasingly evident today within our modern culture is the way that we treat Scripture. We tend to emphasize the aspects of God, the passages, the scripture that we like and we enjoy, uh, and then we want to dismiss the more challenging portions of the word based on cultural differences. You ever heard anybody say that? Pastors today often emphasize the grace of God, and we all like grace, and I am sure thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ in my life, but we don't like to talk about God as being a righteous judge. We love to talk of the forgiveness of God, but we don't like to talk about repentance, that God calls us to lay down our sin and to follow him in righteousness. And, and I want to kind of challenge us this morning because I, I believe that we often do these things unknowingly as we slowly drift towards what is easy and what is comfortable. And we cannot pick portions of the word of God to which we adhere and, and other portions that we reject 
And when you begin to do that and you begin to kind of take out a pair of spiritual scissors and cut things out of your Bible and pretend like they're not here, then, then all of a sudden you have made yourself your own God and you were no longer in the religion of Christianity, but you have formed your own religion. God sets the standard, not man. He has set the standard in his word. And I believe that the Bible is clearly under attack in our culture today. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be, might be a complete and equipped for every good work. And so what, what is this telling us? It's telling us that all of the Bible in its entirety is inspired and breathed out and spoken by God. And so let us be a church that abides in and obeys all of God's word and that we don't pick and choose what portions we like and we enjoy, but we are submitting to the authority of God. Let Church on the Rock be that kind of church. And so what is very scary to me, um, I believe as we begin to kind of drift towards comfort and what is easy, uh, it, it affects us in a lot of ways. But I want to highlight two specifically this morning that God has been dealing with me about and, and two that are not commonly talked about in the church. Okay, these are going to be a little challenging, but I want you to stay with me. And man, God has laid these things on my heart to share with you for a reason. And so I, I pray that you receive this well. Uh, but the first is a very, very encouraging topic, one that we're all going to be very excited about sharing. Um, it's the topic of sin. I was, I, was, I was expecting a big amen there, right? And no one got excited but because we don't like talking about it. We, we don't. And in, in the church world, it's often something that we bring up, but, but we don't typically dive into and, and really clearly define. And, and so according to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, sin is defined as any human activity that is contrary to God's will. Any activity that is contrary to God's will. And so when you begin to break down this topic of sin, there are a few ways that, that I would encourage you to look at it. The first is the topic of, of sins of commission. Things that we do, sins that we commit, this is kind of external sin. Um, for many, sin only has to do with our external actions and the things that we do. There are a lot of big things that we would all agree with, like murder, lying, rape, adultery, stealing. Nearly all cultures throughout the entire world agree on these things, by the way. And it's not because humans are inherently good uh, and that we are able to have a, a reasoned or universal moral code of conduct. It's because of the truth that we find in Jeremiah 31 and Romans 2.15 that God has written his law on our hearts, that he has instilled this to, to his people. It's, it's one of the evidences of the existence of God. But all of us, when we're talking about this, this topic of external sin, we would all kind of agree most of this, most of this is, is very familiar to us, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but it progresses from external sin to the topic of internal sin. And it, within the New Testament, we actually see that Christ raises the standard for sin and morality. In Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28, it says this. These are the words of Christ. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery... But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
And so this becomes a little more challenging, right? We move from external action, which is what we typically think about sin. But Christ says, now I'm going to reflect upon your heart and your mind. And he says, you can also sin with what is in here. Come on. We all know that we're guilty in this area. We all sin internally. Um, We have inappropriate thoughts Maybe you cuss sometimes in your mind, but you don't say the word. Uh, Maybe you daydream about punching the annoying guy at your workplace. Come on, don't act too holy in here this morning. But it's scary because God sees all of those things as the same, as if we have acted upon it. And, and so these two topics, this is, this is very familiar. This is not where I want to spend the majority of our time, but I want, to, I want to extend a small challenge here. It's very easy for us to become far too comfortable with sin that is present in our lives when God has called us to pursue him, to pursue holiness as he is holy, and, and that we would be people that, that do not compromise and that we abstain from the things that God calls us to abstain from. And so let us be a church that lives righteously, But what I want to get to and and what I think will be far more challenging and and, and honestly a little more convicting today is that we would move from this topic of sins of commission to sins of omission. Okay, and so this is something that is not talked about very often at all. And this is when we know what we are supposed to do, but we choose not to do it. Anybody you're guilty? I don't want to raise our hands in church. This is rooted in James 4.17. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's a sin. And so sin is when we do something that is contrary to the will of God. It's not just when we do something that is wrong, but it's when we know that we should do something that's right and we choose not to do it. And this is something that God has been greatly dealing with me over. And and I want to put this kind of in perspective for us this morning um, because there are a lot of things that we know God has commanded us to do. God calls us to love him with all of our heart. He, He calls us to love our neighbor. God calls us to share the gospel. God calls us to make disciples. These are things that we talk about all the time within the church and they almost become an eye roll, right, when you hear them. But I think it's a healthy thing to stop and ask the question, have I been faithfully obedient to do the things that God has called me to do? And a lot of us in this room, you've probably not thought about some of those things or not doing some of those things as being sin. But I want to say this kind of strongly this morning. And and like I said, I'm saying this to myself, but I want to make sure we get this. Knowing that we are supposed to reach the lost and choosing not to do it, That's a sin. Knowing that we are supposed to disciple new believers and urge them to spiritual maturity and choosing not to do that, it's a sin. And so I want to ask you a few questions here and and, and as we're kind of approaching this topic, are you loving God in the way that you live? Are you loving the people around you the way that Jesus would? Are you striving to reach the loss that are around you every single day? Are you pouring into other people to help them draw closer to God? And if you're not, and you know that you should be, that's a sin by omission. We know better, but we often don't do it. And I want to be a little vulnerable uh, here with you. 
this year, this is when God really began to, to convict me about this. We were, uh, actually, I was at an event at Pleasant Grove High School. Our students, some of our youth students and Powerhouse held a prayer vigil for some students that had gotten into an accident. And I went to support them, and, and I showed up just to try to help. And, and uh, it was crazy. There was over probably 200-something students that had gathered together to pray for their classmates, which was just incredible. And I remember as we were standing there, I felt the tug of the Lord that I was supposed to share the gospel with everyone before they left, that there were so many students that were there that I knew that there were students who hadn't really committed their life to, to Christ. And, and kind of before I knew it, uh, one of our students had prayed and dismissed the group and everyone began to walk away. And I just kind of remained there in silence. And at first I didn't think a whole lot about it. And then I began to make my way to my truck and all of a sudden just this, this kind of conviction and almost a, a shame came over me. I have no idea why I, I didn't just share. I do this all the time. It's kind of my job, right, to talk to youth students about Christ. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. But for some reason in this moment, I was silent. And I was driving home and tears kind of began to fill my eyes and all of a sudden, I just, I just started praying. I was asking God for forgiveness, and I remember asking God. I said, Lord, would you please help me to never miss another opportunity to honor you? And so this morning, as we begin to, to unpack this, and, and we're talking about some pretty challenging topics, I don't come here to, to heap a, a heavy burden on you that you can't carry or to make you feel terrible because you're not doing everything that you're supposed to but I've come here to challenge us to realize that I think if we were all honest, we would say, you know what, I've probably drifted to a place where I have become a little too comfortable. And I believe God is calling us out of our places of comfort to the uncomfortable. And this is exactly what Christ, what, what God did throughout the Old Testament, what Jesus did in the New Testament. He came to people who were in comfortable places and he called them out into something better because when you step out into faith, I, I believe that's when God engages and begins to do something awesome. But so many believers today, we're so obsessed and focused on being comfortable that I think we miss out on what God is wanting to do in our hearts and in our lives. Listen, all of us in this room, we are to be spiritual leaders of this church, of your family, of your home, of your business, wherever you go, that we are called to be a beacon of light. And I feel like the American church culture, we have gotten so consumed with being comfortable and complacent that, that we have settled for far less than what God has called us to and this is something that I want to challenge myself with as well. I'm going to continue to say that so you don't feel like I'm talking down to you. But let me ask you just a few questions. When is the last time that you shared your faith? When's the last time that you prayed for someone? When's the last time you intentionally led your spouse, your family, or your children closer to Christ? Let's do that. And begin to see God transform our lives and our families and our church and our city. Because I think when we finally get out of this place of comfort, God begins to move. Man, I want to pause for a moment. And before we progress on to another topic, another idea, I, I want to make sure that you understand this. Because I am so thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ. 
that none of us are going to live perfectly. None of us are going to fulfill this to a T. But when we fall short, there is grace and there is mercy there. But let me tell you something. That doesn't mean that we settle there. That doesn't mean that we settle, but let us press on and run the race that God has set before us, the very best that we can, and His grace is there to catch us when we fall short. So many believers, I feel like we're not active in these things that God has called us to do because we feel unequipped. We, we feel unqualified. And I love so many stories throughout the Gospels and encounters with Jesus Christ because it declares that he loves to use broken vessels. And I'll tell you this morning that I am a testament to that because I have faults and issues. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. But glory be to God that if he could use someone like me, then he could use you as well. And what we see throughout all of these stories and encounters, and you look at the feeding of the 5,000, all of these things, God doesn't ask you to be the most talented or the most gifted. He just says, simply bring what you have and watch me bless it. And so many of us have been fixated on our own ability or our own talent. And let me tell you, the blessing is not in your ability or your talent. The blessing is in the hand of God. And you can come with the smallest, most minute thing. And when God begins to move, miracles happen. And I think it's time for many of us to finally trust God with our little bit. You might feel like you don't have the words to say, well, let's trust God with the few that you do and see what happens. We might feel unqualified, but can't we believe that Jesus Christ has purified us and set us free from all unrighteousness? Listen to me, there's so many examples of this. When you look at the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Christ commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, this is a command. We, we call this the Great Commission, but most Christians today, we treat it as if it's called the Great Suggestion. We might get around to it if, if it's not too much to ask, if we're not too uncomfortable, if it's not too weird. Maybe if someone just comes up to me and asks, like, how do I be saved? Maybe then I'll share my faith. And Listen to me, it is a command, and I don't know why we, we don't place the, the weight and the authority on those commands as, as, say, we do, like, the Ten Commandments. It's still a command of God, and when we choose not to obey those things, listen, we are sinning by omission. God wants us to step out of the comfortable place into the uncomfortable. And then he will begin to move in huge ways. And I think all of us in this room, we know we like being comfortable. But God is calling us to more. I, mean, I want to move on to this thought, and I'm going to have to kind of blow through a few of these truths pretty quickly. Uh, but if you want to turn here, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 22. Okay, we're, we've, we've talked about sin and, and how our, our desire for comfort kind of affects our, our view of sin and, and how we live and all of those things. But also, I believe our, our desire for comfort greatly affects our pursuit of God. In Matthew chapter 22, the entire chapter is essentially about uh, the religious leaders of the time coming to test and question Christ, trying to entrap him. And what is beautiful is that Christ was never shown to be in the wrong. Amen. But they also, at the end of this chapter, they ask him, they're, they're questioning, questioning him about the Old Testament law, and they ask him, which is the greatest commandment? 
And this is when we get one of the most brilliant summations of the Old Testament law, and it's found in in verse 37. This is what Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so we see that there is a call and an expectation for us to love God. And love here is more than an emotional term. It's more than just having an affection for God, but it is demonstrative in nature meaning that we are called to demonstrate and to show our love for God in the way that we live. This is very similar to what is found in James 2.17, that faith without works is dead. Love and faith without works or action is meaningless. True love will manifest itself in action. And so if we truly love God and we are pursuing Him the way that He has called us to, then it is suggesting that it will begin to transform every aspect and arena of our lives. And so loving God is not something that we say, but it's something that we do. Our love for God is supposed to change how we think, how we act, how we behave, how we live, how we come to church and worship, that no longer am I concerned by what this person next to me thinks, but I'm honoring the one who set me free. And so this is a good time to pause for a moment and and to be a little introspective and to ask yourself this question. Has your love for God really transformed your life in the way that you live, or is it just something that you say? Because God is asking us to love him with everything that we are, with all of our being. And and what is very interesting, uh, when when God commands us to love him, he actually commands us to do this in three separate arenas. I want to touch on these uh, very quickly, and then I want to rest on the last. The first is he calls us to love him with our heart. The heart is the home of the affections, the seat of the will. This is typically more of the traditional view of love. We typically believe that we love with our emotions. The second is the soul, which is the center of life, the center of our being. Uh, This represents loving God with our life. A great depiction of this would be the early New Testament disciples that they loved Christ unto death. They were willing to give their life for him. But the third, I I want to, to hang on for a bit. God calls us to pursue him with the mind. The mind is the intellect, the powers of reason and logic. It represents loving God with our minds, our thought life, and our mental capacity. And so the the arenas of of the heart, the soul, they they closely align with a more typical definition and view of, of love. But this call to love God with our minds is something that is not often talked about. In fact, in all my years of the church and listening to podcasts and sermons and reading books, I've actually never heard someone emphasize the call and the need to pursue God with our mind. And so what does this really mean? What does pursuing God with our minds actually mean? It means more than just mentally knowing that we love God. But I think the best way to describe it is through the word pursuit, that I will pursue God with my mind by pursuing him with my intellect and my reason. I will chase after knowledge of scripture and in turn, I will get to know him better and my love for him will grow. You know, out of these three areas, I believe the term, the, the mind is the simplest term of the three, but it is often the most 
neglected. And the great news about this, that God is calling us to pursue Him with our mind, means that, that Christianity, that our faith, is not a faith, a faith that is unreasonable. We're not a, a religion of closed-minded dummies like everybody in the culture wants to paint us. No, no, God calls us to pursue Him with our mind. He wants us to ask questions because He knows that there are answers. He knows that they're there. He knows that there are truths to uncover you see this in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That God wants us to seek him, to seek him with our, our heart, our soul, our mind. And then he is poised and ready to reveal himself to us in a greater way. 1 Peter three fifteen it says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so Peter is telling us here, we've got to be ready to, to defend the faith. And for us to be prepared to defend the faith, we have got to pursue God with our mind. We've got to be able to explain the hard questions. We've got to be able to explain how it's logical and reasonable to pursue Christ and have faith in Him. And this is not just a challenge that is extended to pastors and ministers or small group leaders. This is something clearly intended for all Christians that we are called to pursue God with our mind. And it's not only for the benefit of the individual person, but it is also instrumental in effectively reaching the lost in a postmodern age. I remember in seminary, this is one of the things that has just really, really stuck with me. But in one of my classes, uh, we were looking at some of the current issues that are facing the American church. A large part of the class was talking about the, the decline in Christianity in our nation and the repercussions of that. And it seems like in the last number of years, the, a lot of the worldly movements, a lot of these agendas have just progressed and accelerated rapidly. And all of these resources that I was going through and I was reading and I was studying, everything had, had this recurring theme that it seemed to point back to the last several generations of American Christians where they had begun to stop pursuing God with their mind. That these agendas of the world have been able to progress because the average American Christian is no longer able to combat them. And so there is a call. We, we, we talk about this all the time. We often talk about the frustrating things in our culture, the political things, the chaos, where we all probably get aggravated about some of these things to some extent. And, and listen, the, if we want to make a difference, if we want to combat these things, if we want to help, if we want to fight back, the best thing that we can do is pursue God with our mind and then proclaim his truth to everyone that we encounter. We've got to pursue God with our minds. And if we were to be brutally honest, I know, including myself, we would probably all admit, you know what? I have not pursued God with my mind like I know that I should. I know that that's scary, but it's true. You know, you look at statistics today, many believers don't even read their Bibles. They especially don't strive to study the Bible. We don't dive into deeper topics of doctrine or theology. We don't explore the realms of apologetics and prepare ourselves to become defenders of the faith. We don't memorize scripture. And then yet our culture is filled with people who are walking away from the faith, not because there aren't answers to their questions, 
but simply because a lot of people just don't care to search them out. And I don't think any of us would ever do something like this on person, but I think it continues to go back to we slowly migrate towards what is easy and what's comfortable. And church, I know it's, it's easy to watch hours of TV and not pursue the Lord. It's easy to be addicted to your phone and, and surf on social media and everything else and then pretend we don't have time to devote to, to God. And it's easy to do those things, but the thing is, is that God is calling us from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. I mean, it is a necessity today. We, we are living in a time where it is a necessity for believers to be prepared to answer and to handle the big questions and the issues that come our way. And they will come. Parents, I want to talk to you for just a, a second. Our kids, our, our teenagers, they are being plagued with doubt and questions that are poking holes in their faith. And we have to, one, pursue God with our mind and his truth. And we have to partner together to combat the lies of the enemy. Don't wait until it's too late. Let's be proactive now. Let's talk to our kids about their questions and their concerns now. And let's talk about it. Let's explore them. Let's, let's let it uh, deepen our faith and allow us to, to grow. Their eternity lies in the balance. We've got to talk about it. We've got to fight back what the enemy, what the culture is doing. And I'll just kind of get on a, a different soapbox here for a second. I would just say this. If I was a parent of a teenager today, I don't know, one, that I would allow my student to have a smartphone. Two, I don't know that I would allow my student to be present on any social media things because there are a lot of negative resources, uh, indoctrination, and things that they're being exposed to that you would be sickened by if you saw it. And if you have a teenager, a young person in here today, and they surf on Instagram, Snapchat, or TikTok, I'm just going to tell you, they are being exposed to pornography. Not maybe, no, they are. And I believe it is time for us to take back some of these things and, and realize that we are the gatekeepers, and we're not going to allow the enemy to come in and to steal our children. We will stand for truth. And I would just say this as well, I'll push a, just a, a touch further. You know, years and years ago, we would have thought of pornography and a lot of these lust issues as primarily a male-dominated issue. But today, according to the statistics, young girls have almost the same percentage of addiction of, of pornography as men. And so parents in here, I believe it is time for us to be engaged in what our children are doing, what content they're being exposed to. And we've got to fight the enemy and stand for righteousness because we are living in a time and a culture where the culture is winning and we have to pursue God here and fight with his truth. Let's be proactive. I mean, there are so many issues, so many things that I could talk about. I had to cut a lot of things out of my notes to, uh, to, to touch on today that, or that I couldn't get to. But there are a lot of reasons why we should pursue God with our mind. And one of them is a powerful truth. It's found in John 17, 17. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so it's showing that our pursuit, our mental pursuit of God is coupled with, with God's process of sanctification and transformation in the lives of believers. What sanctifies us? God's truth. What is God's truth? It's his word. 
And when we begin to feast on the Word of God and we begin to to study it and, and yearn over it and ingest it rather than things of the culture, God uses that to transform and sanctify our lives. But when we fail to have a mental pursuit of God, I believe the opposite is also true, that we fail to become who God is calling us to be. People, we've got to begin to pursue God here, not just with emotion, not just with affection. I want to extend to you one more idea uh, as I I get ready to to close here in just a few moments. This is going to be a touch more controversial, okay? And so if I haven't stepped on your tootsies, I'm probably about to, okay? So just get ready. You can curl them up, whatever you need to do. Let's prepare. But over the last year, I believe this is what God has revealed to me about what is happening in our nation with all of the chaos that we have had to endure over the last two or three years. And so we're looking at this topic in Matthew 22, 37. We are to pursue God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Okay, there's three aspects. And so when we lack a mental pursuit of God, there are only two things Two things for our faith and our love for God to be then rooted in, the heart and the soul. Why is that significant? Because both of those have strong ties to the emotion. And so what is scary is that when your faith is rooted in emotion, if someone can manipulate your emotions, they can begin to manipulate your faith. And I believe this is exactly what is happening all over our nation. Can you just think about the last two or three years? Talk about emotional manipulation. When we don't pursue God with our minds, our faith is wishy-washy. It's based on feeling. This is, this is emotionalism. And so what happens is, is whatever uh, emotion we are feeling in this moment takes precedence over our faith. And, and we have seen millions of Christians across our nation be deceived and, and join social causes and all of these things. Why? Not because it is rooted within God's word, but because they have a feeling about it. And we've got to stop being ruled by our feelings and once again plant ourselves firmly in God's word. Secular American culture has become experts. They become experts at this. They, they manipulate everybody. They manipulate young people, old people, nearly our entire nation. Nearly every social cause within the last two or three years that has gained traction, they haven't gained traction through meaningful thought or debate. Almost all of these things, uh, the, the discussion or debate of these topics is discouraged, right? It, it really sounds like a, a movement that is based in reason and logic. No. All of these movements have started because the media and the culture take a specific story that will elicit a specific emotional response. And then when they do that, they then have authority over all who are ruled by emotion. And the reason we know that this is the enemy because we have witnessed all of these things happening throughout our nation, the division, the the dissension, people in the church being upset over this and that and the, the, the chaos that comes. Church, we have to recognize the enemy and we have to combat it. Man, we have seen this, this process and strategy used to advance the LGBTQ community. We've seen this used to support the abortion industry it's been used to divide, uh, divide all of us in the various Lives Matter movements over the last several years. It's been used to perpetuate fear of COVID and vaccinations and everything else. The enemy has been at work 
to divide what Christ came to unite. And I believe that it is time for us as a church to stand for God's truth, to stop allowing the enemy to manipulate us, to divide us, to cause dissension, and that we as the church body will stand firm on His Word as our foundation. His Word is the unshakable foundation. Amen. And I believe through His Word, through a mental pursuit of God, through um, a, a ridiculous obedience of His Word, and the empowerment of His Holy Spirit, I believe God can help us live the life that He has called us to live. But we have to be willing to leave the comfortable and get a little uncomfortable. And I don't know where you are. I don't, I don't know how your faith is right now. I don't know what your relationship with the Lord looks like. But I will just be open and honest with you. I am hungry for more of God. I don't desire to just come and have normal services. I don't j desire just to, to open God's word and, and just kind of read a couple of scriptures and go sit down. I am desiring to see God move in a huge way in our city, in our church. And, and let me tell you, the only way that we can begin to live in those things and walk in those things is when we get a little uncomfortable. I desire more of God. I want to see God move in your family, in your teenagers. And the lost people that are around you, your lost co-worker in our city, wouldn't it be amazing to see God bring revival to the city of Texarkana because people finally stand for His truth and are empowered through His Holy Spirit? I believe that it can happen, but we have to get a little uncomfortable. We have to be willing to do that. We have to, to sacrifice. We've got to turn off the TV. We've got to turn off the, the, the phone. We've got to start controlling some things in our lives and our families' lives and let us pursue God and run after Him together. Man, God has called us to pursue Him with all of our being, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And I think for a lot of us today, I hope that you walk away saying, it's time for me to go to a deeper place. And there's a powerful quote by R.C. Sproul I want to share with you as I prepare to close. And, and this is uh, something that's been really challenging for me. But and look at this. I believe it will be on the screen for you. He says this, But real love is not an involuntary thing. It's something we do purposefully based on our knowledge of the person that we love. Nothing can be in the heart that is not first in the mind. And if we want to have an experience of God directly where we bypass the mind, we are on a fool's errand. It can't happen. We might increase emotion, entertainment, or excitement, but we're not going to increase the love of God because we can't love what we don't know. A mindless Christianity is no Christianity at all. Church. We have settled in a place of comfort for far too long. And I think it's time for us to stand up and say, I'm ready to step into the uncomfortable. And the scary part is the longer you sit on the couch, the harder it is to get up. And today I believe God is stirring our hearts to finally step out into what is uncomfortable, to finally do the things that he has called us to do. 
that we wouldn't sin by omission, but that we would obey his commandments, that we would pursue him with all we are, that we would pursue his his truth and dive deep and try to learn and grow and combat the, the lies of the enemy. This is what we're called to do. And so I wanna invite you for just a moment, would you stand to your feet? I don't want this to be just a typical message where maybe you listen and you walk out and it's, it's kind of easy just to allow this to, to slip away. But I wanna have some practical things in your mind. What, what does this mean? What do I need to change? What does this look like? Man, if you don't read your Bible, you need to begin there. If you read your Bible, you need to begin studying. I don't know if you need to buy a commentary or, or other books. I don't know, maybe you need to go through a, a Bible study with your family and, and you need to walk through some of these tough cultural issues with your kids. I don't know what it looks like specifically for you, but I believe that it's time for us to pursue God with everything that we have. Let us not settle for anything less than God's best for us. And so what I I wanna do, if you would just bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes, just all over the house. Pastor John does this normally on the weekend. And I just want you to ask, God, what are you saying to me? Lord, what are you speaking to me? What, What do I need to change? And then I just want you to pause and listen. I believe right now God is laying some things on your heart. Maybe there's some sin, there's some issues, there's some struggles that God is calling you to abstain from and to put to death. Maybe there are some ways that you've been sinning by omission and you have not been obedient to the calls and commands of Christ. Today, let today be the day that we begin to be faithful, that we share his love, that we go, we make disciples, we reach the lost. Maybe you're here and you're recognizing that you lack a mental pursuit, a a strong foundation for your faith. And maybe you want to, to say it's time for me to mentally pursue the Lord. Whatever it is, I want you to just lift it up to the Lord for a moment. I want you to ask God, God, would you come and move in this area of my life? Come on, let God hear you. Would you come and move in this area of my life? Lord, today I pray over my friends. Lord, would you help us to not settle into what is comfortable and what is easy, but recognize that you call us to be uncomfortable. God, that we wouldn't settle and compromise in areas of sin, Lord, that we wouldn't sin by omission, but God, that we would fearfully obey everything that you have commanded us to do that we would reach the lost, we would proclaim your truth, we'd pray for our friends, we would be bold. God, help us to do what you've called us to do and not back down from it. God, if we have lacked a pursuit of you mentally, if we have not studied, if we've not pushed ourselves to learn or grow, God, help us to do that because we can't even love you unless we know you. So today, Lord, help us, use us, God, and we pray that you would come and move in this church in our families, in this city. Lord, no one would be able to deny that it was you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.
Amen. This is what I'd like to do as we prepare to close this morning. One, I want to invite our, our prayer team down front. And if you need prayer for anything, we would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. It doesn't mean you're a terrible person at all. We all need prayer. But I want you to, to come. If you have a need, I want you to come and allow somebody to pray with you. Maybe there's something going on in your family. Maybe you want specific prayer for one of these things that was convicting for you. But besides that today, maybe as I have been sharing, man, and, and essentially we've been talking about loving God and pursuing Him with all that we are. Essentially, it is, it's ultimate surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And, and what I felt on, on my heart this morning is that there have been many people who have gone through and maybe even said prayers out of tradition to ask Christ to come into their life. And that's not what I'm asking you to do this morning. I'm asking you to surrender your life. There's a difference between repeating a prayer and surrendering your life. And I believe many American Christians have said a prayer but have not surrendered. And God asks for surrender. And so this morning, if you know that you need to make that decision, if you need to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, if you need to receive His forgiveness of sins and all that He paid for on the cross and the free gift of eternal life, let us pray with you. Don't leave here without making that decision to get right with God. And so our prayer team's gonna be down front. If you would come and, and grab, link hands with them, let us pray with you. But I'm gonna step over to the cross and if you want to surrender your life, to Jesus Christ, I'd be honored to pray with you today. We love you so much. Thanks for being here. Let's worship a song together. Amen. You know, I just looking up here as we closed, what a great, great word we just heard. What a great man of God. But I look, we got his brother right here. You got Zach and Cole. I just want to give honor to his parents who are here. Just wave at us over there. They're right over there. I'm telling you, uh, we have really gotten blessed. And I want you just to go the extra mile and pray for them. I'm telling you, both of these guys can preach. Both of these guys are men of God, have great wives, great families. But really keep them covered. Pray for them. And, uh, but this all started when somebody invited him to church. He comes to church, gets saved. He invites his brother. And you see what can happen? Let's let this next year, let's, I mean, let's invite, invite, invite and cover these two guys. We're so blessed to have them here. Let's give God glory one time and those prayer uh, ministers are here to pray with you.
prayer team is going to remain up front. If you have a need uh, at all, we would love to pray for you. But also, if you miss the opportunity to come and answer the altar call and make your way to the cross, uh, we'd love to pray for you there as well. We're going to stay a bit longer in worship. Feel free to hang out with us if you'd like to. Uh, for everybody else, you can be dismissed at this time. And we just pray that you'd have a blessed day today.